Whispering. Whispering Streets. And here is Betty Davis. Hello. Liza Walden often told herself in the dark hours of the night that her heart had died when Clinton Ellsworth had come to her in spoken words that still seemed unbelievable and incredible. Liza, I might as well come right out with it. I want you to release me from our engagement. I, I can't go through with it. But... But I thought you loved me. Oh, I thought I did, too, and... Then I met Aline, and... Well, I knew that our love, yours and mine, hadn't been the real thing. I knew then that Aline was the only girl I ever really loved. I see. What is Aline's last name, Clint? Roderick. Not the post-Deb who's supposed to be the best-dressed woman in the city. That Aline Broderick is, is very beautiful. And very rich. Aline's been written of quite a bit. Photographed. And it is the same one. And I'm only a trained nurse. Look, the way I feel about Aline has nothing whatever to do with money. I'm sorry. Don't be too sorry. It, uh, it's better that you met Aline now than, than two months from now. We were going to be married a month from now. After a month of marriage, it, it would have been much harder than it is at the moment to give you up. Of course I'll release you, Clint. I wouldn't think of holding you under the circumstances. Go on now, will you? I want to be alone. So Clint, with a relieved expression on his handsome face, left Liza alone. But she didn't cry. She just stood there in the center of the room, and all emotion dried up in her. From then on, she went about her work very efficiently... As a nurse, she helped to heal the sick and comfort the dying. And men looked at her with puzzled eyes. And then one day, in a hospital corridor... Miss Walden. Oh. Oh, yes, Dr. Curtis. I didn't see you coming toward me. I'm sure you didn't. Miss Walden, how long have we known each other? Well, you've been giving me cases for about five years. Mm -hmm. And just how would you classify me? As one of the best surgeons I've ever met. Could you tell me offhand what I look like? Why, you're tall and broad-shouldered, and your eyes... Look at them. What color are they, Miss Walden? They're brown. Your eyes are gray. Star sapphire gray. And your hair is naturally curly, and you have a beautiful figure, and a mouth that was made for laughter and kisses... But you never laugh. Dr. Curtis, I think... Don't stop me now, Liza. I've been in love with you in my own quiet way for quite a while. And I'd like to know if there's a chance. I want to find out if you're as frozen as you seem to be. And if you are, I want to defrost you. Please, doctor. You must have some life outside the hospital in the sick room. Do you love anybody? I... I'm not in love with anybody, Dr. Curtis. I was in love once, and I learned my lesson. I'll never love again. 
You want to take any bets on that? I'll give you odds. Gladly. Don't. You'll lose. When I've made up my mind to win, I seldom lose. How about our patient, Mrs. Monroe? I'm afraid you'll lose her. I hadn't meant to bring this up, Doctor, but she's so pretty and, and, and cooperative and so terribly in love with her husband. I'm due in her room right now. And if you can give me any hope at all, well, maybe I could pass some of it on to her. I'd like to say that she has a fighting chance. Anybody, no matter how ill they are, deserves a fighting chance. These blood diseases, these obscure things. If only we could find the answer. Well, we will someday. Maybe that someday will be tomorrow. Thank you, Doctor. You've given me a message to pass along. And you very neatly derailed my conversation about you. Now, perhaps there are some doctors who can talk of love and death simultaneously, but I can't. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first... Were you in the military service from 1951 through 1956? If so, and if you've had some active service since 1956, you qualify for some free Social Security credit. Until January 1957, military service generally could not be credited to both Social Security and military service retirement. Your service time could only be credited one way. But now, servicemen are paying Social Security taxes on their base pay and their service time counts toward both retirement systems. In addition to getting double credit for all service from now on, active service as far back as 1951 can also be credited both ways. That double credit you get for any service between 51 and 56 is free. It's credited both to your military service retirement and your Social Security retirement with no obligation to pay Social Security taxes on your pay during those years. But remember... Back credit to 1951 on Social Security can be made only if you've been on active service since 1956. Have you investigated your Social Security benefits? And now, back to our story with Betty Davis. So Liza Walden walked off down the corridor and into the sunny room at the end of it and managed a smile for her patient, who lay quietly back against her pillows, and who spoke in a whisper. You're a darling, Miss Walden. I'm so glad I have you for a nurse. Why, thank you, Mrs. Monroe. I'm glad I have you for a patient. You're the sweetest thing in the world. <laughs> what was it they, they said in that play about a mutual admiration society? <laughs> With the president and the vice president, Miss Walden. Aren't we just... Well, I shouldn't be standing here talking to you. I want to pretty you up for your husband. Not that you need prettying up. Oh, but I do. I want Bryce to remember me the way I was before. Oh, yes, Miss Walden, do pretty me up. I need it. As she prettied her patient up, Liza's mind went to Dr. Jeffrey Curtis. Why had she never noticed that his eyes were brown? And then suddenly she was remembering Clint's arrogant blue eyes, remembering the pressure of his mouth on hers, 
and all at once the tears moved up to just in back of her eyelids. The next day when she met Jeff in the corridor, she was able to nod casually. But once again, he stopped her. I'm all business today, Liza. Will you take a case for me? Yes, I will. My patient's leaving this afternoon. She wants to be home. She has sort of a hunch, I think. She wants to be among familiar things. Does she want to take you with her? No, her sister's going to look after her. It's a very close family. I see. Well, this case of mine is home duty. A strange case, a woman who doesn't want to live. She's had an operation, but though it was a success, she's slipping away fast because she's anxious to die. Just the opposite of Mrs. Monroe. What's her reason for wanting to die? She's very close-mouthed, Liza. She won't confide in anyone. After all, I'm not a psychiatrist. I should imagine it's some domestic situation. Heaven knows she's rich enough. Uh, when will you be free? At 11 o'clock. I'd like to run over to my apartment and get some fresh uniforms and things. I can report in the morning. It'll be 24-hour duty if you can stand it. Uh, give me your address. I'll pick you up and take you to the patient. I'd like to introduce you personally. She has confidence in me. Uh, as much confidence, that is, as she has in anyone. Well, thanks a lot, doctor, but I'll take a taxi. I'm driving you over. And if you won't give me your address, I'll get it from the floor supervisor, and that's final. Liza bowed to the inevitable. She had to. She realized by the time she reached her two-room flat that she didn't even know the name or address of her patient. She washed her hair and had a good night's rest and was all packed when Dr. Curtis stopped for her. She climbed into his car and... Let's take a turn around the park, Liza, before we go to the patient. We're early. I'd prefer to go there directly. Well, I wouldn't. We'll take a turn around the park. Doctor, we've known each other for five years. Why have you suddenly taken this attitude toward me? Well, it's rather more than an attitude, Liza. I've been wild about you for a long while, but I've been waiting for you to give me some sign of recognition. Then I saw you coming down the corridor yesterday, and you looked so lovely and so remote that something snapped. Now, you'd be very happy married to a doctor. You could understand his problem. You could help him when he got in a tight spot. Why are you off man, Liza? Me in particular. Some time ago, I was jilted. I'm still carrying a torch. Even the brightest torches go out in time. Mine hasn't. You didn't tell me the name of the patient. She's a Mrs. Ellsworth, Mrs. Clinton Ellsworth. What? What is it? I'm sorry. I can't take that case. But she's expecting you. Have you anything against the woman? No, but she I... She needs you badly. She's all alone in a big house. Her husband's away on an extended trip and... Second thought, I believe we will go directly to the patient. You look more alive than you have in years, Liza. What could she say or do? Desperately, Liza preceded the doctor into a private house on a smart side street. A butler opened the door. He led the way to a small elevator. They were whisked up to the third floor. And... Okay, Liza? Okay. Your cheeks are on fire. I'd like very much to kiss you, but I won't. Here, this is Mrs. Ellsworth's door. Come in. 
Good morning, Mrs. Ellsworth. This is your new nurse, Miss Walden. How do you do, Miss Walden? How do you do, Mrs. Ellsworth? I I hope that I can help you. Oh, I'm sure you'll be very kind. You have gentle-looking hands. Thank you. Have you heard anything from your husband, Mrs. Ellsworth? Not for the last three days. He's in California. He'll be away for another month. I see. Uh, now, if you'll come outside with me for a moment, nurse, I'll give you some instructions. Her husband's the real problem, I think. He didn't even come home when she had her operation, and she might have died on that table. It was extremely serious. I presume that he married her for the money. It's a complete mess. Oh, now for the instructions. Try to make her tell you what's wrong, Liza. I'd rather not. I can only say this. If she confides in you, her cure's in sight. And they say there's no such thing. It's a long arm of confidence. Coincidence? I was just thinking out loud. Dr. Curtis! No, I was right about your mouth. It was made for kisses. But definitely. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. Do you know the story of Happy Mountain? Happy Mountain is the name of an orphanage, a community of hope for the lost children of Korea. Shortly after the Korean conflict, American troops in Busan built it when they discovered that somebody had to do something about the homeless kids wandering the war-torn streets living on scraps of garbage. The money came from individual contributions, from chaplains' funds, unit funds, many places. It grew from a solitary structure to 18 buildings handling some 1,400 child orphans. They receive shelter, food, clothing, and medical help. But Happy Mountain is just one example, for men of the United States Armed Forces have donated over a half million dollars toward the building of various institutions, orphanages, schools, hospitals, and churches in Korea. The generosity of these men gives us a thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go, so goes America. To our story with Betty Davis. Liza, with Jeff's kiss warm on her lips, went back into the room in which Aline Ellsworth was lying and thought, she's a shadow of the girl who was written up and photographed a few years ago. The doctor said goodbye, and after he'd gone, Aline spoke. Do you like Dr. Curtis? I think he's a very wonderful man, Mrs. Ellsworth. Yes, he is a wonderful man. I, uh, I should have said a wonderful physician and surgeon. But the man comes first. He was kissing you out there in the hall. He never did before, and he never will again. How could you tell? Your lipstick's a bit smudged. Oh, oh I'm sorry. Don't be. I've had smudged lipsticks in my time. Don't you think you're talking too much, Mrs. Ellsworth? 
You're my patient, and I want you to get as much rest as oh, possible. Oh, rest me to talk to someone who's sympathetic. And I know you're sympathetic. It relaxes me to tell my troubles to a human being. And you're very human. Even though you don't enjoy being kissed by an attractive doctor. I shouldn't think you'd have any troubles, Mrs. Ellsworth. I remember reading about you. Seeing your pictures when you were the toast of the town. It was the first season after your coming out party. My coming out party. My bow to society. I had my real debut when I came out of a rosy haze of romance and discovered that life and love can be synthetic. Oh, please, Mrs. Elton. I made my bow to, to adversity. When I discovered my husband was a cheat... Mrs. Ellsworth, you must take it easy. No. No, I must tell this to someone. My husband had his first flirtation. Only it was more than a flirtation. Oh, we were on our honeymoon. Women, women, women. Rich women like myself. Women who worked as secretaries. Wait, Mrs. Now, Mrs. Ellsworth, I can't allow you to tire yourself out. I want to tire myself out. I want to die of exhaustion. It would be the easiest way. It was ironic the way Liza Walden should learn the truth about Clint Ellsworth, the bitter, disillusioning truth. It was ironic that Liza was beginning to recover from her chronic heartache. As hour by hour, another woman aired her grievances. And they weren't imaginary grievances by any means. The poison was draining out of Liza with Aline's every confidence. After ten days of it, she spoke to her patient from a full heart. I shouldn't say this. I know that I shouldn't. But I must. Why don't you leave him, Mrs. Ellsworth? Leave Clint? I love him so much. How can I leave a man I love? If you die, you will be leaving him. There now, I put it on the line. Once you were the prettiest debutante of the season. Yes. Yes, they said I was. Well, now you can be the prettiest married woman in town if you set your mind to it. Leave him. Don't divorce him, Mrs. Ellsworth. Just leave him. What would be the point of that? I'll tell you the point. When other men begin to want you, he'll want you too. You made a strange suggestion. I must think about it. Don't think too long. Do it while you can. How surprised he'll be when you say you're quitting. He'll raise his left eyebrow and smile without moving his lips. You know him. You must know him. You're one of them. Oh, no, I'm not. No, I... And I have no right to cry when I'm on a case. I should have my cap taken away from me. Mrs. Ellsworth, this is the truth. Clint jilted me to marry you. Odd that a patient should comfort her nurse. Odd that Liza, with her head resting on the edge of Aline Ellsworth's bed should blurt out the story of her disillusionment. Especially odd that Liza's torrent of tears finished what her patient's flood of confidences had started. Aline Ellsworth was on the road to recovery 
when Dr. Jeffrey Curtis made a routine call at the end of the second week. When he asked Liza to come into the corridor with him, her cheeks flushed, for her patient had given her a knowing wink. With her head high, she preceded Jeff into the corridor. And when they were alone... Well, it's a miracle. I think so. She's not the same woman she was two weeks ago. You'll soon be free to go on another case, Liza. You're wrong, Dr. Curtis. Aline's leaving for Paris to buy clothes as soon as she's well enough. And I'm going along with her as a companion. What will you do in Paris while she's buying clothes? If you haven't changed your mind, I'll buy a few things for my trousseau. And... Jeff, how can I finish what I started to say when you're kissing me? Don't finish anything. Start something new. Oh, eyes are done. This is a second miracle. ourselves to go through life level-eyed and level-mouthed. It's a pity to shut away the laughter and the kisses and tears, especially the tears, not only for our own sake, but for the sake of the party of the second part. Do you remember the pathetic woman who was Liza Walden's patient before she took on Aline Ellsworth? Her name was Celie Monroe, and her case was hopeless. Indeed, she went home to die. But her story didn't begin or end there. And now, here again, is Betty Davis. Celie Monroe was frail and sweet and gentle. But it's often the sweet, frail women who are strong enough to reach from beyond the beyond and influence other people's lives. We'll take a few backward steps and meet Celie when she was young and gay. And we'll also go a few steps forward and learn the unusual outcome of her influence. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the Whispering Street. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sangster. Featured in the cast were Barbara Eiler, Eve McVeigh, Harry Bartell, and Bob Crane. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon T. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. Whispering Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.